I'm Pete Vernon, and this is The Kicker, CJR's weekly podcast about all things media. This week, we're returning to one of our favorite topics, the relationship between platforms and publishers. As we do every so often, we brought in Emily Bell, director of the Tau Center for Digital Journalism at Columbia, to help us, and hopefully you, understand what Facebook and other platforms are up to. Emily recently presented at the Global Editors Network Summit in Portugal, speaking to world leaders in digital publishing about the Tau Center's research into how the relationship between platforms and publishers is affecting the news business. Emily, thanks as always for being here. Thank you. It's great to be back. Good to have you back in the country. Yes, I know. I've been on a global tour. So on that global tour, you talked about this idea that the relationship between publishers and platforms has shifted over the past two years since you started this platform press project. You essentially argued that after a muddled courtship, the relationship has matured somewhat. So I'm wondering what you attribute that shift to primarily. Well, it's kind of interesting because I think it's probably um, mostly been caused by external factors. So when we started looking at um, the relationship between big technology companies and publishers, we really wanted to know how this was going to affect journalists in the in, in the newsroom. And what we were seeing in 2015 and 16 was that everything was about the business model. And platforms had one very straightforward approach to the business model, which is, hey, guys, we will make tools for you. You will put more of your stuff onto our platforms with a bigger reach. And we have these amazing advertising engines of change. And you will earn more money. And as it happens, none of that has actually come to pass. And then what actually happened was something really extraordinary, which is we had all of this external intervention from a series of disclosures largely brought about by independent journalists and independent academic researchers that just highlighted all the problems that uh, Facebook uh, had um, created, um, because it had created by having this design for targeting material uh, and monetizing that targeting. Uh, we know it's well documented, you know, the, 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 the use of it as a kind of propaganda machine <laughs> during the 2016 election. Not quite sure why I'm laughing. Um, the rise of fake news, misinformation. Uh, then we had Cambridge Analytica, kind of amazing sort of story by The Guardian. Um, Carol Cadwallader, as sort of an investigative journalist, who broke that wide open. So all of that shifted, first of all, how Facebook felt it had to behave. Secondly, how it thought about news and how all platforms thought about news. And thirdly, the fortunes actually of publishers as well. So, you know, it, it suddenly stopped being this just internal kind of like a one-to-one relationship, if you like, and became about the whole world of news. So going back to the publisher's side of this, what is the relationship from the view of a New York Times or a Philadelphia Inquirer, you know, whether it's a broad international outlet or a local paper? Well it's, it, well, it's kind of interesting because there's no one model fits all. But in, in general, we would say that it seems as though the larger publishers, and particularly those with international and national reach, are doing much better in a platform-dominated environment than local publishers. And even platforms have, have acknowledged this. So the other shift we've seen is from platforms... Um, Google, Facebook, Apple News, Twitter, etc., just rolling out all of these products, whether it's Twitter Moments or Apple News or, you know, 
um, Google AMP, to saying we need to support certain types of journalism more directly. So you've got the Facebook Journalism Project very squarely aimed at local journalism. You have Google News saying that it's going to set up a $300 million fund here to help experimentation in news. And it's funding Report for America, which is this initiative to put a thousand reporters into underserved local newsrooms. So that's a long way to my mind from, hey, we just build the tools, you use them kind of hands off, to being actually deeply involved in thinking through how can we make the future of journalism different. So in a way, even though we've had this kind of if you like, an opportunity for publishers and platforms to really divorce. Um, you know, I've used the phrase conscious uncoupling. That's definitely what's happening to a certain extent. But it almost as publishers have been leading out from this relationship, the platforms have been learning from some of their mistakes and I would say moving much further into the heart of journalism. And that responsibility, that editorial responsibility, the platforms are taking on is something new, right? That's not the way they used to view their relationship. Is that public pressure? Is it government pressure? What's driving that? So you're absolutely right, Pete, which is another big change has been this, hey, we're just a technology company. We would never interfere with whatever anybody wanted to publish on our platform to say, right, all of this has to be much more highly curated. We are going to make decisions about the quality of news and whether it's shown to people, whether it's in the news feed or whether it's how it surfaces on search results. That pressure, I think, is civic pressure. So I think that we have moved from just thinking about this as a transactional relationship to really the, the combination of regulatory pressure, particularly in Europe, um, the oversight and sudden interest of lawmakers in the US. So we saw Mark Zuckerberg um, uncomfortably sitting through 10 hours of congressional hearings to, you know, this kind of broad debate now about hang on a second, is this what we really want? Do we really want unaccountable companies who don't have any interest in keeping fake news or whatever we want to call it, misinformation, propaganda off the platforms? Do we really want that for ourselves? That's a, you know, a lot of us have been saying we need to pay attention to this for a long time. The, the whole project that we did at the Tower Centre came out of that in a series of talks and papers we did that dating back to like 2013, 2014. Never in our wildest dreams did we imagine that that would actually become one of the central talking points in not just in America, but in the whole of geopolitics. So I watched not all of those 10 hours, but some of them. And I can't say I came away optimistic. There were some liberal lawmakers who were concerned about you know, privacy issues, and that seems important. There were some conservative lawmakers who really seemed more concerned about whether Diamond and Silk were getting the right number of likes and you know, not being censored uh, and making that claim without evidence. In the U.S., do you have any optimism that the government is going to provide real solutions for Facebook? I think probably not this government and not right now is my, is my feeling. You know, we've seen a movement from the FCC and um, Ajit Pai, who is the chair there, to so he is addressing in some ways the issue of competition but he's addressing it in a completely different way which is basically saying the less regulation we have around media ownership and control the more it will foster competition so we don't see him really introducing anything that's going to curb the platforms in terms of antitrust there's a very lively debate among lawyers and um kind of open markets people about the um way that you might reconfigure antitrust to take on the fact that these companies are too big. 
I don't see any will in government for that at all. And I think that's because the companies we're dealing with are not just companies, right? They're social phenomenon and they're also um, repositories for huge amounts of personal data on people, not just in the States, but across the globe. And if you stretch your horizon and look east to WeChat and Tencent and some of these platforms in China that don't have any regulatory kind of control over them, the question about how much the American government is really going to do with tech companies that represent a kind of soft power for it in other parts of the world, as well as these huge drivers of economic growth, I don't see change coming from here. Europe, I think, is a completely different question. I think we really already have seen GDPR sort of biting various people on the ass, to use a American phrase, um, and and in their inboxes. Uh, and, and we're going to see more, I think, just of that. So, so we may end up with actually kind of platform companies that are balkanized by different regulatory regimes. The next phase of this is just going to be fascinating because I do think that all of those geopolitical concerns are going to really start to come alive for companies like Facebook in smaller and different markets. And I think the government here will be viewing it not just through a consumer lens, but also through a kind of, you know, um, cyber security type lens. And do we actually want these companies to be very powerful in the rest of the world? So if they are going to remain powerful here, at least in the near future, it seems like getting back to publishers, they're caught in a catch-22 where there is a lack of trust. Um, and there's a certainly a frustration with the impact Facebook has had on journalism. Yet there's not a huge decrease in the number of posts being shared. There's not a huge decrease in their usage of Facebook and other platforms. What do publishers do while they wait around for Facebook or the government or some nebulous cultural force to change the relationship as it exists right now? Well, I do think that publishers have agency and we're seeing them exercise that. So they're not using things like instant articles. You know, our study showed that of 75 publishers who initially took up instant articles as, as tools and were using them, 50%, so 30, over 50%, 38 of those publishers are not using them at all now. So the first thing is that they can exercise agency. The second thing, which I think is fascinating, is that we actually have more inter-platform competition than we have before. So Google AMP, which was pretty late to the sort of the platform tool party, and it's difficult to, it's a kind of a difficult technology to implement, but that's finding its feet. More people are using that, I think. Apple News was like, a sort of a laughing stock <laughs> two and a half years ago. Uh, publishers who used it were like, this is this is terrible and we're, we're pulling all of our stuff off it. It's a waste of time. They have completely transformed their offering. They've built a newsroom as far as I can make out. They're actually publishing their own kind of exclusives. And yeah, stories. they ran that John McCain excerpt, yeah. right? They, they, they said this is an Apple News exclusive and they're on slack as we say in our report all the time with uh editorial newsrooms getting the story you know getting the right stories curating them they, they've got a lock on the kind of push alert you know news world with a, on, a, on an iphone so that's a competing ecosystem with facebook's so it's kind of interesting to me that we're seeing this shift where the platforms really are becoming the publishers and they're also acting much more like commissioning editors than they were before now for publishers it's all about can we get the money out of them so the good news is um, there's no political upside i think now for platform companies to see publishers particularly well-respected publishers or local publishers fail 
because of their influence in the market. That's really bad news. And it's a relatively trivial sum to make sure that they don't fail. So an interesting thing will be, I think we've also seen this real shift in attitude. I'm old enough to remember this, but most people aren't, which is in 2005, I spent a lot of time in rooms with people from Google and not Apple in, in those days, but certainly sort of, you know, the, the, the kind of early social platforms um, telling us how terrible we were at our job, saying journalism is useless, journalists are useless, you people are all just going to die out, it's going to be like blacksmiths, uh, you haven't really understood your own business model. Well, you know, who even needs journalism anyway? In, so back in 2005, there was this genuine feeling like, hey, we're going to disrupt everything, the mainstream media is, is lame, and when it goes away, everything will be better. That's not what you hear anymore. All you hear now are billionaires, including Elon Musk, saying, how could we fix journalism? Now, their suggestions for it are often unwelcome and not very good, but some of it is actually really welcome engagement. So I do think that publishers have more agency. I think that they have, they are being taken more seriously. And I think that the downside for allowing them to fail or creating market conditions under which good journalism fails is now a kind of a red alert on all of these technology companies' dashboards because of potential political and PR implications. That's a good thing, I think. And so with these platforms taking more responsibility and with this relationship having matured a little bit, is it easier to predict what the next couple of years are going to hold? I mean, if anything was to come out of this, it would be more predictability, right? So, so it would be really great if Facebook <laughs> would say, you know, the one thing we can do is at least warn people. So, you know, when we change our news algorithm, why don't we give you six months notice instead of actually announcing it three months after we did it? Which is pretty much what happened. I mean, they still haven't said that's what happened, but everybody's traffic fell off the face of a cliff at the same point, and it was three months before they made the announcement. And over and over again, you hear the complaint that is, we just want to know. We want some predict predictability in this market. I think the next two or three years will be still very tough for journalism. You know, we haven't had, let's, we, we're not even talking about the general economic environment, which has been pretty good. You know, what happens when that starts to falter, which it will at some point. Um, but I think the relationship with the large scale technology companies will be better. I think that they will start to put much more money into journalism. It could, it might be coming off their marketing budget. It might still be a perceptual kind of, but now they've almost sort of, now they've kind of broken that barrier of involvement. I don't see them um, withdrawing necessarily, but I do think that there's a, a price to that, which is news will become more managed and probably more marginal on some of the platforms. We're already seeing that with Facebook. You know, it's it's the, the, the changes to the algorithm, the Elevation of more important news, I think, will be followed by them much more tightly curating. They got rid of trending. You know, everything says they're trying to sort of pull those elements of what they do kind of apart from each other. And some publishers will benefit from that, but it won't be very many. We've been having these conversations uh, for the past two years or so, and this honestly seems like the most optimistic you've been. Is that fair? Yes, pessimists like me love disaster and we've had this giant disaster and from that it produces optimism because nothing makes us feel better than a bit of I told you so. So so, so in some ways but but in some ways I do actually think we couldn't really be in a worse position than we were 
at the back end of 2016. So if you take that moment just after the election, where businesses were failing, where everything kind of seemed sort of up in the air, where people were suddenly really uncertain about their information environment, I'm not saying it couldn't get much worse. I think it could, but I think our our lack of understanding as a society that that's where we'd ended up really put us in a very bad place. And the fact nobody was taking responsibility for it made it worse. So I am optimistic that at least we are beginning to define what the issues really are and getting some kind of consensus around them. That's quite an Amerocentric, Eurocentric view. I don't think that things will be much better. I think that we have to start taking the international problems caused by not just our platform technologies, but everybody else's platform technologies as well, really seriously. And and that is where I see kind of, if you like, most trouble in the next couple of years is in how that interaction with civic society causes unrest um, and problems and how it's gamed by extremism and what we can actually do about that, which has that 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 lies beyond the boardroom of Facebook. That's something that has a much broader, longer term sort of civic set of issues attached to it. Well, at least we're all paying attention now and the platforms are taking some level of responsibility. I know. Good news. Finally, Pete. Well, thanks so much for being here to talk through it with us. As always, we appreciate the time and in this case, the sharing of your office. Thank you very much. You can come back to my lavish office with its enormous crate of booze in the corner anytime you like. That was our show. Thanks for kicking it with us. Thanks, as always, to Emily Bell for sharing her office and her time. Please check out all the great work we've got up at cjera.org, including a piece by Emily. And we'll see you next week.